and ghouls. In our previous episode, we traced the history of Dracula. From the novel of 1897 to the 1931 Universal Studios film. In this episode, we journey through the legacy of Dracula. Listen in as we make our way through the movies that made the blood-sucking count a permanent part of our culture. So, put in your vampire teeth and draw on your widow's peak as we present Boys and Ghouls, Episode 76, Legacy of Dracula. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Ain't nothing but dead folks. I want to kill you. The undead. You ever talk to a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring. Throw the third switch! Look! The third switch! Give my creation! Um, God, speaking of life and death, I was like, I'm going to die, and I won't have read all of Stephen King's work. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, well, where do I start? So then I thought, you know what? I'll just make a list of everything, and I'll mark off what I've read, and then I will start the oldest that I haven't read and oh, work my way forward. That's interesting, because no guarantees of quality. He had some dips. Absolutely. But, you know, I feel like I should experience it all. I love him. Um, do you have any spooky gab? What have I been doing? It's, it's, been, it's been a little while. It's been like two months. Oh, um. This is, what, this is what happens when we go too long without, without recording. Have I told you that Matthew and I have a set new Beverly date now for 2019 once a month? No, no, the New Beverly, the movie theater. That's right. So this is Matthew Scott Montgomery, co-host so, of Welcome to Deadcast, the Goosebumps podcast. I love plugging them anytime I can. Is, is that like how you introduce them to people? Yeah, this is Matthew Scott, host. Um, so this year we've been taking a look at their calendar and picking a movie and going to see it once a month. And just last Thursday, we saw a Hitchcock film, part of a Bruce Dern film festival that they're doing right now. Bruce Stern was in Family Plot. Very good. That's what we saw. Okay. Now, Family Plot is a dark comedy, kind of. I guess that's how Matthew was reading about it after the fact, and he was like, yeah, I guess it's, you know, we, we talked about it. I never saw it because I knew it was his last movie, and yes. it, it kind of makes me sad. Sure. But, you know, the plot twists and turns were kind of fun. And Bruce Dern was wonderful. At any rate, I know it's not straight horror, but... Still. The fact that I got to see a Hitchcock uh, movie on film... Projected. ...in a theater was pretty cool. So I guess that's kind of spooky. Okay. What about you? As I, I guess you saw through social media, I went to a horror speakeasy. Yeah, I did. I think that's how they were referring to themselves. 
like most LA speakeasies, it's all above board, but it's also <laughs> like kind of hidden. And uh, if not that, it just identifies itself as a pop-up. Mm. I understand it'll be back though. Well, yeah, Beetle Bar was a quote pop-up. Yeah, yeah. But it's still there. And the Star Wars one across the street, Scum and Villainy. What? Across the street from Beetle House. What? Yeah. Right now it's all Game of Thrones for like a month. But then it'll go back to looking like the uh, cantina from Star Wars. Really? Yeah. I don't think Alec knows about this. Well, if you listen to the podcast, you will. <laughs> yeah. It was held in a wardrobe rental warehouse with just like a big section with just all costumes. A costume rental warehouse. Such. So you could like wander about the costumes with your cocktail or no? No. The entrance to it was into the area where most costumes are. Cool. And they had formed sort of a maze, a path through the wardrobe, which is very Hollywood and very spooky. And then a couple of characters would kind of... And then you kind of spit you out the other end. Wow. Where there was um, no shortage of mannequins at a costume rental uh, Uh warehouse. And they had a bar set up. There were aerialists, but I didn't see them. I was mostly in this one room where they had like rows of inflatable chairs and a little concession stand. And being projected was the first two episodes of the latest run of The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs. Nice. So me and Sumo Dan went and we did the thing. We made our rounds and then we went and watched like most of Chud. Nice. With interruptions by uh, Joe Bob. And the DJ in like the main room was uh, Jonah Ray, the uh, most recent host of Mystery Science Theater. Wow. 3,000. So that was pretty cool. And a giant bat. And, and like, characters walking around you could, like, take your picture with. Uh-huh. And it was just full of horror people. Really, you just get enough horror people in one room. Yeah. It becomes a horror thing. Totally. Everything else is kind of incidental. <laughs> and you told me that the bat in the photo, you knew that bat. I know that bat. You're like, I know that bat. I know that bat. How, how do you know that bat? Well... It was a big one. It was like suspended from the ceiling. That bat was used in Daniel Montgomery, co-host of Welcome to Deadcast. Um, you've, his... you've managed to fit in both of the Montgomery <laughs> brothers his, in like five minutes. His show, his Creep LA show, Awake, mm-hmm. their main haunted house in the fall, featured that bat. Okay. And in what capacity? It was in one of the scenes hanging from the ceiling. Okay. So they it, didn't like swing it out at people. No, no. It was stationary. But, you know, that show was all about nightmares and dreaming and being awake and all that kind of dream imagery. So the bat was a big part of the finale of the show. It was this like really impressive, frightening, giant bat. Cool. And I remember that Matthew and Daniel had their parents come do the show and their mom, they, they were like, I don't know how Rosemary's going to do. She's this like really intense fear of bats. And I was like, <laughs> well, that's a really specific thing. And I hope you're warning her about that. She was fine. She made it through. All right. Um, Hey, speaking of bats. Oh, let's get the show on the road. Jack's back. Time to really shake them down. All right. 
cat. Marshall? The Legacy of Dracula is what we've uh, decided to call this one because we went in our previous episode from the book Dracula through the 1931 movie and its Spanish counterpart. And now we're going to go into its legacy, which gave us many different kinds of Dracula. But first I am thirsty, make mine type O. The ones we most looked at are the ones that still followed the book, that would take its own cracks at the book, right? Yeah. And then we sort of spun off into our own just weird Draculas. There was a little Whatever spinning. we could find, streaming or YouTube or at the last video store in the valley. You know, for the most part, this exercise yeah. <clears throat> that we're doing here, it reminded me of when we did Invasion of the Body Snatchers, where we read the text. Yeah. And then we watched iterations, and there are iterations that have the same kind of elements, but they take place in different time periods, and they were made in different time periods, and reflect those time periods. The sensibilities of those time Absolutely. periods. Absolutely. And I, I had that thought the other day. I was like, wow, this feels kind of like that. I watched enough of the material where you start recognizing things you wouldn't recognize if you were just one-off watching the film. You know, you kind of reach this state where you're, like, ready, you know, you're just, you're ready to take it in. Yeah. This is Dracula, the original terrifying story of a man who lived after death, lived on human blood, took the form of a vampire bat, and lured innocent girls to a fate truly worse than death. Well, let's go back. Let's go back to where we left off, which was 1931, where Dracula got released with the uh, tagline, the strangest passion the world has ever known. So... Passion. Whatever, like, overtones of romance and sex. That one was more sex than romance. Definitely. But there was seduction. The 31 Dracula? The 31. Sure. Yeah. I'd say, just because... I mean, very metaphorical and subtle. Yeah. If you're comparing it to later But just, like, guys showing up in your bedroom. Yeah! Like, he, he never brought flowers or... Right. He didn't woo particularly. Well, I think there's a little wooing, like, at the theater... He swoops in and he's like... He turns it on. I'm going to quote things about death to you. I'm going to appeal to you. Yeah. He definitely appeals to the ladies. But I would agree with your point that it's more sexual than romantic, for sure. Yeah. Okay, well, passion still falls under that. Yeah. So as early as that, they were hitting the passion. Now, I think history has kind of rewritten the idea that it was released on Valentine's Day. Because it wasn't. I never heard that. Oh, okay. Well, that, that, that was a thing. It's like, hey, it was released on Valentine's Day. It's for lovers. That'd be charming. If I, it were true, but well, you're telling me it's not. Valentine's Day was actually the Saturday, the day after it got released. Mm-hmm. It was released on Friday the 13th. Hey, that's a romantic time for me because I got married on a Friday the 13th. For everyone else, it's a spooky day. Oh, right. They yes. were releasing it on Friday the 13th. It just happens the day after that was Valentine's Day the 14th. In February 1931. Romance and Dracula. It's there from the beginning. Oh, yeah. If not the very, very beginning, at least by the 1931 Dracula. And yet, every time I read like interviews or watch special features on the many Draculas we've seen, a lot of them seem to think they're the ones putting the romance into it. <laughs> uh-huh. They're like, finally, I wanted to make a, you know, like a sexy Dracula. And, okay, the older ones may not have been to, like, your taste or your speed, uh-huh. but they already were. Uh, well, and I wonder for if the part time. of that... For the time. Exactly. I wonder if so much of that comes from 
not being able to put yourself or contextualize a viewing of an earlier film where, you know, you don't realize how racy something was yeah. at the time. A lot of these interviews would also be like, man, I loved Dracula when I was a kid. And some of them would specify certain Draculas, you know. It wasn't necessarily the Lugosi one. It could have been like the John Carradine ones uh, a little later with like House of Dracula and uh, House of Frankenstein. What was it with that guy? I mean, what did he have? Was it the accent? Good evening. No, I think it was the cape. And maybe it's like, yeah, the sex was there, but because you're a kid, you don't get it. Right. Now you're an adult making movies and you're like, you know I'm what gonna I'm going to do? Sexy. I'm going to make the world's first sexy Dracula. Well, I do think, though... Okay, maybe Dracula wasn't sexy in the novel. In the novel, he's, you know... More of a monster. But I would also, though, make the point that even in the novel, if you're looking at the time the novel is written and then framed in, at the very least, even if it's not Dracula who's sexy, there's an element of, like, transgressing norms where you're in a really buttoned-up kind of repressed time. Sure. And you have this thing coming into women's windows and puncturing, penetrating their yeah. skin and sucking fluid from their bodies. It makes me hot. How about you? That's inherently sexual. Like, even if it doesn't make you feel even sexy. you got to read between the lines to get yeah. there. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. there. It's there so from it was the book. always there. Yeah. So I guess what we got is a couple of generations who want to bring it up to their definition of romance and their definition of uh, what's sexy. Yeah. And then that has gone beyond Dracula, just into vampire films in general. And I think you can actually use that as a pretty good barometer of like where we were as far as willingness to almost ready to discuss certain things. Mm -hmm. It'll come first through the vampire films and then we right. can talk about it as a society. Yeah. Well, didn't you make the point to me in some episode about, was it Bewitched or something with the Adam's witch? Family or something that where they were the first show that featured a, a husband and wife in bed together? Uh, Monsters was an early one. The theory being that an audience maybe could accept a monster family where a husband and wife like... And it's not like they were having sex. They're like reading a book in the same bed. They weren't yeah. in two separate beds next to each other. But you could more easily accept literal monsters doing that before you could accept a regular old man and wife yeah. in a bed together on television. Exactly. Or uh, all the girl kissy girl movies that the uh, Hammer films brought out <laughs> who were all also vampires. You know, it takes all kinds of people to make a world. And then it took another like 20 years before Interview with a Vampire where like... What about two guys? Yeah. <laughs> what, oh, that movie is so homoerotic. What, I love it. What do they do? They just kind of look at each other. <laughs> but like a lot. Like, yeah. <laughs> like a lot. And then you get True Blood, and now we're kind of uh, up to speed. But what's next? Master. Yes? I'm curious to know why you always sleep in your evening clothes. <laughs> I was buried in them. Symptoms are identical. Two incisions of the jugular vein. Was well, the killer human or animal? A Dracula. From beyond the grave comes the dreaded Dracula, spreading corruption and horror wherever his cursed shadow falls. Innocent beauty becomes the vampire's prey. This is the story of Dracula, a creature who destroys all whom he touches. The next time Dracula really really hit people over the head, I'd say. There was vampire films that Bela Lugosi went on to do, and John Carradine took over for a bit, and then he went on to do other vampire films. And then you got the vampire comedies that 
eventually came. Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein was not the only one, even for Bela, to do as a comedy. But the first one to really punch you in the face, let's just say, with what it had to offer was the 1958 Horror of Dracula. Which I enjoyed very much. Please try and understand. This is not Lucy, the sister you loved. It's only a shell, possessed and corrupted by the evil of Dracula. This is the doctor who dares to challenge the vampire Dracula. This is the anguished man who fears for the lives of his beloved, the girl who is his sister, and the one that is his wife. Dracula. I didn't know what to expect. And I you went seen... in totally cold. I did. I feel like one or a few of the Mummy films we watched were Hammers, but yeah. I haven't seen a ton of Hammer films, so I went in ready for whatever, and I had fun with this movie. As a company, first they'd done Frankenstein, with uh, Cushing as Dr. Frankenstein and Lee as the monster, and that was a bang-up hit. So what do we do next? Dracula. Yeah, my Dracula movie, there's going to be plenty of blood. Yeah. Just like in a Frankenstein, you know? Yeah, now that was good and gory. Just to set the scene of like the world, because like they continued to make those Dracula films into the 1970s. So I sort of take them all at once, and I don't think about what the world wasn't ready for in 1958. So I wrote down some things that were happening in 1958. Oh, thank you. Context. Okay. Um, Horror-wise, this was the same year as The Fly and The Blob. Beware of the blob. Right. Sputnik's up in the sky by this point. A lot of things are going sci-fi. This is two years after Elvis appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show. And shook his hips. Yeah. And it'll be two more years before that's parodied in Bye Bye Birdie, at least on Broadway. Mm. So we're, we're right in between those. Okay. South Pacific is a big movie that year. The hula hoop got invented. You know, for kids. People are out there discovering the hula hoop. And other people are watching Blood in Color <laughs> coming off of Bangs. Bangs, Cat. Yeah. Which we had not seen. No. Previous to this. At well, least, if we remember, at least not on Bela. When we talk no. Because in the Spanish version, we see puncture wounds in the neck. Like there's a close-up of them, right? Yeah. But not even that in the uh That's true. American version, right? So there's yeah, there evidence, description of things, but like we didn't see sharp, sharp fangs on a handsome man. Yeah. I find Christopher Lee very handsome. <laughs> She's playing with her hair right now. Sorry. This will be a theme for this episode, which is that I find many, if not all, of these Draculas that I watched very attractive in a way that I, I found myself beside myself. All right. So uh, Christopher Lee, first time out, you give him a... Uh... How many out of five pairs of hot pants? Oh boy, knowing where we're gonna go with this, Christopher Lee, I'm gonna say a good three. A good three out of five pairs yeah. of hot pants. If, if... And by the way, that's not the design of hot pants. That's just pants that you have made hot. Yes. As hot as that a Christopher Lee has made burning hot. cross. <laughs> Which this was the first movie. Like, like we're coming at these films, having been watching vampire stuff for years and years. Fright Night keeps coming up because it knew how to take from a lot of its predecessors. Among that, the cross burned into a forehead. I just want to say again, this was the year the hula hoop got invented. Yeah. And some of the people, young people, who didn't get to see the former Dracula in the theater, but did grow up with it on television, 
which I'm sure was scary, but at the same time, just the fact that it was on TV diminished it mm. somewhat. And the horror hosts, which helped them watch in the first place, Making also about it. kept it at arm's length, mm-hmm. I want to say. I'm sure it scared plenty of people, but at the same time, there's a reason there were all these novelty songs with Dracula and fun toys, right. cartoons, what have you. Of Dracula, he's kind of becoming a joke by this point. And Adam Costello, Meet Frankenstein, had confirmed it. Until this new Dracula comes from England in a theater, in a dark theater, away from the comforts of your home. And right off the bat, the word Dracula is like chiseled in stone. And red color blood drips onto it. And, like, you know you're in for something. Yes. Like, oh, my God. Did you you're see? like, I wish I were at home playing with my hula hoop. In short, I, I know we, we've gone over the Dracula story, and this one departs from it a bit. Mr. Harker, I'm glad that you've arrived safely. Count Dracula. I am Dracula, and I welcome you to my house. Jonathan Harker goes to Castle Dracula under the subterfuge of being his new librarian to get his books in order. Oh, yes. One of the things I wrote, I did have a note here, is... Oh. Ooh, Jonathan already knows! He already knows. Point. He's there. I was pretty shook by that. I was like, oh, shit, he's aware. You can have no idea what an evil man he is. What terrible things he does. It's not until later does Dracula reveal himself to be a vampire in that great close-up where, like, his mouth is bloody. And you've already seen, like, there's a woman who lives in the castle also who's like, please help me from Dracula. And then once yes. he gets close enough, she tries to bite Jonathan. Yes. And then that's when Dracula shows up. Like She's fa- got quite a bosom. I felt it important yeah. to point out. La- yes. Mm-hmm. Later, Jonathan, he stakes the bride and fails to stake the count, who later turns him into a vampire. And his plan is now, I'm going to go and find your fiancé, you jerk. <laughs> I'm bringing your fiancé back, and you're just going to watch me make her my bride forever. <laughs> Teach you to try to stake me is basically his plan. Ultimately, death results from loss of blood. But unlike normal death, no peace manifests itself. For they enter into the fearful state of the undead. Hammer was a pretty low budget and always sort of was um, institution. And there's no uh, sea voyage. And they eliminate the subtext that people point to of the Eastern European coming into the West Mm -hmm. and like preying on your women and trying to mess things up for you. That sort of invading Easterner. Immigrant. Yeah. (laughs) Because in this one... He comes from the more rural area of this sort of unnamed Bavarian-type country. Yeah. And I think they just had, like, a bunch of stuff left over from Frankenstein that was very sort of Swiss, mm-hmm. kind of Germanic. Mm-hmm. And we're like, all right, let's use that again. Yeah. Because we got to go into a pub a couple times, and we've already got these steins. So we'll set it there. That's spooky enough for us. And Christopher Lee does not put on an accent. They all just use British accents. Yep. But I think that's also important to point out because by now, Dracula was becoming kind of a joke in some ways. They knew they could make a good horror movie out of it, and they did. But there were certain pitfalls Mm. I think it was important not to fall into. 
And one of them had become the go-to Dracula voice that, you know, kids dressing up for Halloween can put on and your dad at a party can do. Yeah. I am a vampire. Oh, yeah? Well, abracadabra. I'm an umpire. In Horror of Dracula, in England, just known as Dracula, they make a point to say that the vampires are totally real. They can't shapeshift which is a departure from Draco before. And what that really does is sets up the mystery of how's he getting in the house. Madam told me the other day that I must on no account go down to the cellar. Arthur and Van Helsing are just scratching their heads, going like, well, how does he get into the house? We put garlic up, or you're supposed to put garlic up. Then the maid's like, I mustn't go down the basement. My lady said not to. And they're like, the basement. They run down the basement and they just find his empty coffin. He's totally moved into their home. Right. Which, I'm like, that feels familiar. Salem's Lot. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's like we're watching some of these films for the first time, but elements of them have been peppered throughout, like, films we've been watching, like, our whole lives. The crucifix, in these cases, is twofold. It protects the normal human being, but reveals the vampire. Somebody pointed out that in the Hammer films, the crosses get bigger. Yeah. Uh, get bigger than what? Uh, previous crosses, oh, I guess, that would be wielded. Probably. I don't know. That feels right. Um, Peter Cushing, who we love. Mm-hmm. Yes. Was known as Props Peter because he was so uh, good with props. Oh. He always, if not being given something to do a little business with, he'd find something on the set to do a little business with. Interesting. And by the movie's end... Uh-huh. As scripted, it was, he gets the upper hand on Dracula. Van Helsing does, Peter Cushing. And he takes out, like, yet another cross. And Cushing was like, it seems I have an endless supply of crosses. <laughs> I'm feeling a bit like a crucifix salesman over here. <laughs> How's about I grab two of these candlesticks and I form them into a cross? Oh, yes, it's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, people are watching this going, that works? Great, because I don't have that many crucifixes, but I can, I can find a couple candlesticks or, yeah. or broom handles or something. Just look around. We got crosses all over the place. All you gotta do is put two sticks together. You got a cross. Yeah, right? he's right. Peter Cushing does that all the time. His name was Bela Lugosi, but that was probably a little bit too much for people to take, and so he became immortalized under the name of Bela Lugosi. He made his name, as indeed did I, in the playing of a certain rather strange Transylvanian nobleman. Going back and forth right now, Kat. Uh, comparing uh, the future projects after having done Dracula of Bela Lugosi and Christopher Lee. Mm. So first they do Dracula, and then the studio goes, gangbusters, great. Let's do another one. In Bela's case, it was... Dracula's daughter. She's under a spell that can be broken only by me. I am Dracula's daughter. They had written a part for Bela Lugosi, but never filmed it. It didn't quite fit with the rest of the movie. It was supposed to be like a flashback, and they paid. He got money for it, but he was never in the final product. Until Abbott and Costello, he would not be playing Dracula again. He would still act for Universal, but just not in the capacity as Dracula. Meanwhile, Hammer Films does uh, Brides of Dracula, which brings back Peter Cushing as Van Helsing, but does not feature Dracula. Hmm. 
there's another guy. It's not even about the brides too much. It's more about this other guy, like a baron, who is a vampire that Van Helsing deals with. I paid for brides. So not a lot of Dracula in these Dracula films. Then Lugosi does Mark of the Vampire for a different studio, where he plays basically Dracula. He's got the cape, he's got the look, and if you stick him on a poster, That'll you do. could sell it as Dracula, in which he is almost completely mute through the whole film. Like, he doesn't have any lines until the very end. He has, like, two lines. Similarly, when they brought back Christopher Lee for Dracula, Prince of Darkness, he didn't have any lines. That time, it was more that they say he really didn't like the dialogue. He was like, I'll be in your movie, but I'm not saying any of that dumb shit. In later Hammer sequels, for which there were many, he would speak to the audience's benefit. And uh, later in their career, both of them would do parodies of Dracula. What happens when Dracula has a son? I watched Dracula, Father and Son. Is that with Christopher Lee? That is with Christopher Lee. He was also in something called... Uh, my Uncle the Vampire, and that was made like the year after Dracula. That was like 59. So he went right into making parodies. Wow. It will bite you in the funny bone. So both of them wound up doing parodies of their former, like, great part. Interesting. Yeah. So all those things. Put them together. What do they say? It's hard to shake Dracula. Yeah. I think. And Mr. Degosi, how about your plans? When are you going to bring your distinguished acting back to the screen, sir? Well, uh, there are a few things coming up. Uh, the first is a television series called Dr. Acula. Dracula? Dracula? For heaven's sake, no. Just Dr. Acula. I see. <laughs> My name is Count Dracula. I wish to locate... Count Dracula? The original Count Dracula? You've heard of me? You once bit my grandmother. Dracula, what you grow in your gardens in Transylvania? Transplants? What else? Don't be scared. I'm the super sweet monster with the super sweet new cereal, Count Chocula. You have exploited your monsterhood so much that you are no longer scary. People are laughing at you instead of shrieking. If you can sneak all the way around Dracula's house, you'll win the game! You're not supposed to bite people. It's a Dracula game! I bought to bite your finger from Hasbro. Dracula. The story of the greatest lover who ever lived, died, and lived again. 1979 brought about a Dracula explosion, unfortunately, to the particular Dracula that we watched, the one with Franklin Joe. Because it's a plenty fine Dracula, but it really didn't become a success. It didn't become the success it deserved to be. And that's part blamed on just how many Dracula properties were coming out at that time. Interesting. Dead. Undead. I don't care. They all frighten me. Oh, I love to be frightened. Do you? This movie was based on a successful Broadway run where they took the old stage play and pretty much did it as it was done back in the 1920s. Really? Yeah, but sort of emphasizing different parts and sort of playing it, acknowledging the parts that were cheesy, is what I'm told. And what really brought the people in was artist Edward Gorey did cool. all of the background. So it looked like they were all walking and acting through these sort of like line drawing, black and white, gothic 
drawings. So when you would have like Carfax Abbey, it was as if it were just line drawn, black on white. Cool. Yeah. But huge. Sounds like a spectacle. And Frank Langella played the part of Dracula in that production oh, on, wow. on Broadway. Okay. Before becoming Dracula for the movie version. Something he has in common with Bela Lugosi, who played Dracula on stage before he played Dracula in the movie. Yes. Aha! You and I are both now are like conspiracy. We have like a conspiracy wall. And we've got like, Just, get the red string. Right? Mm -hmm. That's what these guys have in common. Yeah. Uh, they do. And they were both considered very sexy Draculas. I'm going to say there is never not a sexy Dracula. Yeah. Maybe that's true. I not mean, mostly. look. Bela in visual mediums. wonderful. I'm going to put him like a one on the hot pants meter. He still registers. All right. Frank Langella, All on right. the other hand, is a is a 3.75, maybe 4. Okay. It's, it movie, sounds like you're saving five hot pants for something oh, else later. Oh, I've got someone in mind. Okay. Um, but <laughs> I... You want to keep a scale. I, yeah. Yeah. I got I to gotta keep that in mind. But I got to say, like, and maybe the fact that it got lost in the shuffle of a bunch of vampire... I didn't realize there were a bunch of Dracula movies. Oh, yeah. When you came over, I was playing a Love at First Bite. Uh-huh. Same year. Interesting. Uh, they, they point to that one specifically. And I'm like, I don't think just Love at First Bite sank it on its own. Also, uh, something called Dracula Blows is Cool came out the same year. Good Lord. Was that like a porn parody? Actually, I think that was the year before the uh, Dracula Sucks was out. That probably didn't help things. We are dealing with uh, the undead vampire Nosferatu. And the Nosferatu remake, that was 1979. So it makes sense then that I've never even heard of this one. I did not realize this was a thing. I had. I'd seen its cover, but I thought Franklin Jello had stupid hair. He has stupid hair. And I never really liked you anyway. And you have stupid hair. Just stupid 1979 blow-dried yes, hair. It's stupid. It's And that fucky. kept me away from the whole movie for like 20 years. Which I can understand. But I was so surprised. Everything from the hair down is great. Pleased. With this film, I thought the acting was fantastic. I think Frank Langella is such a magnetic Dracula. He's so handsome. I did not expect, surprise, Donald Pleasance is in this film. As he always, points Dr. for you. Stewart, uh, points for me. Laurence Olivier right? plays Van Helsing in this movie, which was wonderful. I thought the sequence where Frank Langella as Dracula is climbing the walls was yeah. absolutely breathtaking. When he shows up upside down at the window? Yes, it was shot so beautifully, and I was like, this feels so, you know, forget about his hair. Yeah. If only, felt so timeless, like, and also a little ahead of its time, and it was shot Let's so Let's just say right from the beginning, that helicopter shot, and that John Williams score. I was gonna say, John Williams. John Williams. What? People. It's an incredible score. I was like, what it's is great this score. movie? Yeah, it's really fantastic. So they're doing this over the water helicopter shot towards a castle. Yeah. And I'm like, this is great. Yeah. This is really, you know, I'm getting a buzz off of this. And then I'm like, this is the Lost Boys. <laughs> that's that's the opening shot of the Lost Boys. Totally. As they go over the water, they switch some things out. But yeah, it's like, I've right. been appreciating this shot's progeny for years. Yep. And didn't know it. Yep. And then they they took the text and they took at least one of the actors from the Broadway show, but they couldn't recreate the gory, capital G, the man's name, gory uh, set dressing, but they had to do some kind of like fantastical equivalent of that. And boy, did they. And they actually shot it in England, which for an American production, so far, like I think the American productions were all just on the back lot, but this one actually went to England. Where are you going? 
England. When you were talking about something yeah. fantastical, I was thinking about the like sexual sequence with all the red. All the red. And... Well, that was filmed only on Sundays. Why do you ask? I because do ask why. Lasers were at a premium in 1978. I'm sorry. Lasers. <laughs> I just did air quotes. Please continue. The same director had already done Saturday Night Fever and wanted to get lasers uh-huh. into like the disco scenes, but like the technology was too huge and unwieldy to get quality lasers. Fortunately, The Who was using the latest in laser technology on their concerts, and they didn't perform on Sundays. What? So a guy who was best known for the opening credit sequence of James Bond films, he put together that whole sequence, which they call like the vampire wedding, which is just like the laser lovemaking scene when uh, Dracula, and in this case, Lucy, mm-hmm. who is victim number two. Mm-hmm. So not the one he kills right away but the one he wants to sort of slowly kill and transform and fall in love with. Yeah. Because he likes her, not because she's a reincarnation. Yeah. In this one. Listen to them. The children of the night. What sad music they make. Do you think it's sad? So lonely. Like weeping. Langella also did not do the Hungarian accent. Mm. He did basically his own voice. And also refused to do fangs. By then, fangs on Dracula's and the Dracula accent, fangs, blah, was quite hokey. And he wanted to distance himself from that. Yeah. That level of hokiness by going no fangs. Forgive me, Doctor. I dislike mirrors. They are the playthings of man's vanity. You are a most uh, unusual creature, Count Dracula. After having been Dracula for so many months, he really perfected all sorts of like subtleties, including he would do a lot with just like two fingers. Mm. Langella would, like when he's trying to open the window from the outside, or he's just kind of putting the whammy on Mina, he'll like move two fingers. Yeah. And he said, like, very delicate. That's because bats have two fingers. Ah, oh yes, I did read that piece of trivia. Yeah. Mm. Cute. Yeah, so he had a lot of time to prepare this character. Do you think with your crosses and your wafers you can destroy me? Me? You do not know how many men have come against me. I am the king of my kind. So after eight months playing Dracula for the stage and however long it took to um, play and then promote Dracula in 1979, Frank Langella said, I'm done. He hung up his cape. By the way, he had more than one cape. He would have like different capes for like different occasions if you watch carefully. Mm. I know at least one looked like the broad collar of the night that nineteen oh, seventies, and he had like Absolutely that V neck. Yeah, he was a real seventies, very much a seventies vampire. Vampire, and when he was done being that seventies vampire, he was done with all vampires. Wow, ever, and he got a lot of offers, and he turned them all down because he knew that if he continued to be Dracula or some iteration thereof, he would be that for the rest of his life. And all you gotta do is look at Lugosi, and then Lee, and that same year, 1979, the other universal vampire, John Carradine, who replaced Bela Lugosi when they started doing what they call their monster rally films. I am Tom Dracula. You see before you a man who has lived for centuries. Kept alive by the blood of innocent people. In 1979, 70-year-old John Carradine 
was doing an episode of McLeod. McLeod was a TV show about a New Mexico sheriff who's now working in New York City. Somewhere in their seventh season, they got around to McLeod meets Dracula. Actually, he was playing an actor who played a popular vampire, but now people start showing up like they're blood drained and he's a suspect. And that same year, John Carradine did a movie called Nocturna. She is Nocturna. I'm the granddaughter of Count Dracula. And he played Dracula. It's also got Yvonne De Carlo in it. And it is just disco, 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 Dracula. Disco, 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 Dracula. Wow. It's a heck of a thing to watch. I don't even have my own fangs anymore. Same year, he also did Vampire Hookers. Vampire Hookers, close encounters of a different kind. And he would go to Mexico and make vampire films. And to research for this, this, uh, this you know, legacy of Dracula, I was like, oh, what's, what's out there that's crazy that's Dracula? Billy the Kid versus Dracula. Like, great, I put it on, guess who's in it? John Carradine. Wow. As Dracula. Your bullets can't hurt me. He was a Shakespearean actor and he kept his sort of, that great voice and would not do the Hungarian accent. Mm -hmm. I didn't hear you come in. Please go on. Anyways, you put on the cape, it can follow you for the rest of your life. If I'm alive, what am I doing here? But on the other hand, if I'm dead, why do I have to wee-wee? Yeah, he just kept coming. Like, every time I'd find some ridiculous Dracula, I'd, I'd put it on. I'd just be like, there's John Carradine again. Wow. But, let's go to Coppola's Dracula. I certainly hope that you're playing right now yeah. that incredible score sure. from Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. And if you've never seen the movie, you might have heard it in American Horror Story. I'll tell ya, I did. And also, I had never seen 1992's Dracula until researching for this episode. Oh my gosh. I know. I know. Listen, we're going to get into it. But... You should have been plugged into, like, scientific machinery to, like, gauge your reactions. Yeah, I wish I had been. But yes, I had heard it on American Horror Story and also on, a, like... Sometimes when I'm writing at work, like for work, uh -huh. and I need to zone, I will put on like horror scores and usually it's like classic horror scores and that score comes up a lot. Sure. So I, I've heard it a lot. And so then when it started playing in the movie, I was like, oh, oh, ah, this is from this. Awesome. And I will say as someone who had mm -hmm. not seen the movie until I watched it for Boys and Ghouls, my impression of that film, uh, all I had ever heard about it, is that Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder's accents are terrible. And I'd seen Gary Oldman's old Dracula wig, his weird butt head wig. Yeah. And I had just heard that it was like cheesy and not very good. And boy, I'm almost thankful that I went into it with low expectations. People are really just giving you like the worst part of it. And not even the most interesting thing you could criticize or talk about. Yeah. Like that's just the, the catty least parts of our concerns. Of it. Yeah, it's We're like yes, you. no, their their accents are not good at all. But you know what? Like to me that takes such a back seat to 
all the other bonkers stuff that's going on in this movie. Like, this is a wild ride of a film. And I can't believe no one ever talked to, really talked to me about it before. And I feel like I don't hear people talk about it, but I really appreciated it. So that's my hot take. All right. Also, just oh. before we get into it, mm -hmm. old Gary Oldman Dracula. Yeah. Zero on the hot pants meter. Okay. <laughs> and honestly, you like young, long hair, top hat, tiny, round glasses, Gary Oldman Dracula is like a 0. 0.5. I'm when he bursts out really of that box of earth. It. I'm not into it. No? No. Okay. He doesn't really do it for me. Then I wonder who you're sitting on. Mm. I think I know, actually. Mm. I hope you know. He, I wonder if you know. He was like 6'5", if we're talking about the same person. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I love what I think your guess is. Okay. Um, he's higher on the meter, though, for sure. Anyway, please continue with our serious discussion that's not just me talking about who I'm attracted to. Sure. <laughs> of Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. Nothing you've ever seen. I am Dracula. Nothing you've ever experienced. Nothing you've ever imagined. Yes, Can prepare you for what's coming Known as Bram Stoker's Dracula, and that really brought Bram Stoker as a name to the forefront, at least for me. Did for me, even though I hadn't seen it. 92. I was like 16. But the thing is, it was a big deal. And I'll bet. only now, looking back on it, am I so glad that there was a Dracula that was a big deal? There was hype behind it. It was one of those things where, like, you go to the theater. And then, like, you know someone else who's there who, like, you didn't even come with. That's how okay, you're gonna see, yeah. big of a deal it was. Make no mistake. He must be stopped. I think this is probably a good point to mention the video that I sent you that James Rolfe did for Senate Massacre. Oh, yeah. Where he compares, like, a dozen Dracula films and gives them points for how closely they hew to the characters and actions and basically just plot points of yeah. the novel and i found it very interesting that top marks went to like a 70 something bbc production but the second place second place was number two of the bullet 1992's bram stoker's dracula so coppola and i know it was because i saw him say it in the behind the scenes documentary yeah. he sent me that it was really important to him to do something that was very accurate to the book. And at the same time, he put his own spin on it with this love sure. story aspect. Well, it was already a screenplay. I think behind the scenes things don't oh, go... Oh, right. Yeah, there was a screenwriter. They don't go very far if you don't say like, man, I've always loved Dracula. You know? Yeah. He says he used to read it as a camp counselor to like his, his camp counselor kids. And I can really see that. Mm -hmm. But what it was was Winona Ryder was all set to do Godfather 3. And at the last minute bowed out, he cast his daughter, Sofia Coppola, better director than an actress, <laughs> and the movie did not do well. And as sort of like a entertainment industry olive branch, she comes to him with the script to Dracula. Oh, really? Written by awesome. James V. Hart, whose previous work was Hook. Oh. So like, okay, so he's taking a classic and putting some spin on it. Uh-huh. So Winona took it to Coppola, who wanted to do something more mainstream because he was trying to get out of some financial debt. So it was time to do something more mainstream for a major studio, and um, this struck his fancy. And I'll tell you, and, and what is the name of this documentary again? I forget, but I'll it's, tell you. it's on the, like, the Blu-ray. I think it's important to mention, just because you can, whoops, and there it comes. Um, you can find it on YouTube. 
It's called The Blood is the Life, The Making of Dracula. If you want to watch it, I cannot recommend it enough. And action camera. Blood! Oh, God. Watching that documentary, it made my heart swell for, like, filmmaking. Because sure. you're seeing the sets. Oh my God, the sets they're on are like crazy and it's raining and there's lightning and there's like yeah. the scope of like, yeah. oh, I feel the, like movies are made so much smaller these huge, days quite a lot of the time. Well, everything was indoors. Uh, yeah. Even when you thought it was outdoors, it was and indoors. And maybe that's why I was so impressed because I'm looking at like their little like topiary garden or whatever yeah. and it's like I can see they pull back and you see it's on a soundstage and they're making it rain and all the cameras are covered in the it was... rain thing and you see him watching it in his little video village and like smiling at like the take and I'm like, oh, movies! Wait and all the, the prep stuff. Yes. First of all, they read the book. It took like two days. Together. So he took he had... the entire cast to... Napa. Napa. They did like summer camp. And yeah. they read the book together and then worked scenes and did acting exercises. After we read the book, I said, if anyone can see something from the book that's not in the script that you think it ought to be, please send to me and we'll put out a script that has it all in. So they all did. And of course, they all made their parts three times bigger. He got the suitors together. He put them all in a hot air balloon. Yeah. So they could do like Victorian male bonding. Yeah. Which was uh, Carrie Elway's Richard E. Grant as Seward, always played uh, Arthur, and um, Billy Campbell, mm -hmm. fresh off the Rocketeer, as the only film version ever of Quincy Morris. I know, I love Quincy Morris. The Texan. what a great character. Yeah, uh, how was it for you seeing Quincy Morris? Um, taken shape on the screen absolutely wonderful you know i told you he's like one of my favorite characters in the novel he's so wonderful and he dies wow. for wow lucy you're as fresh as spring rain it's one it's great i just love that it was it was really refreshing truly i like the um keeping the sort of cowboy of them there's the night when they're sort of keeping vigil over lucy mm -hmm. and he like cocks his rifle with one hand yeah it was like cowboy <laughs> <laughs> now miss lucy Miss Lucy, you just rest easy. Arthur sent me to take care of you. He said, if you don't get better right quick, I have to put you out of your misery like a lame horse. Quincy. You're such a beast. Will you kiss me, We talked before about sexuality and like romance and passion. Yeah. And it feels like they were not pulling any punches when it came to that element in this film. Sure. There's a lot of like, you know, there's a scene where which one is Mina and which one's Lucy? It's her friend. Winona Ryder's Mina. Okay, so Lucy, Lucy. in this one, where she's like vampiric but not fully a vampire or whatever, but she's in her bed and just writhing breasts out. And the men are all like, ugh. Let's give her a transfusion. Yeah. And Lucy walks out to see Mina having sex with a other dog. Way around. The other way, whatever. Winona Ryder walks out to yeah, see. Yeah, he's There's getting like a, like a wolf, wolf man dog thing form. That's like full on beast having sex with a woman thing. Where yeah. it's like the things that happen in this movie. It's like, what am I looking at? Yeah. Um, that's not even metaphor I mean, at this point. During her final bite when they just have. He said he was inspired by The Shining, where they just show the bed, it's the empty bed, and just two giant waves of blood 
Gorgeous. Just splash it from either side. Yeah. Speaking of lots of blood, this one gives Dracula a backstory mm-hmm. and leans pretty hard on the Vlad Tepish. Mm-hmm. It was not the first Dracula movie to do that. People point to the Jack Palance version for that. And also say that that was the first to do the, like, the reincarnation. Let's flesh the, that out so that people know Jack what we're Palance. talking about. The reincarnation thing. Sure. Well, yeah, that may have shown up for the first time in the Dracula there with Jack Palance, but I think it's just the mummy. Well, I just mean specifically we need to say what we're referring to when oh. we say reincarnation, which is that in a lot of these iterations, and I'm not sure I would have necessarily put that word to it, and I'm glad you did, because in some of them it's overt in that way, but in the other ones it's just like there is a Mina or a Lucy character that is played by the same actress Mm -hmm. in the old scene, you know, hundreds of years before and now, but it's not the same person, but they don't ever explicitly say. Sometimes it gets confusing, I think. Well, my introduction to it was Fright Night, and in that one, it was, she looks just like her. Right. And in others, it's, you are my princess. Right, yes. Reborn, and I have found you. Yes. This was the princess. Elisabeth. She was the most radiant woman in all the empires of the world. So, for the first time in a long time, Gary Oldman is playing a serious Dracula with the accent. Mm. It's been relegated to commercials and parodies. The parody Draculas, the Love at First Bite, etc., they would have accents. Oh, yeah. They would have Eastern Very European. outrageous accents. Renfield? Yeah. Where does my pants? <laughs> you know? They want to know whatever happened to the Transylvania twist. But Oldman is playing the accent, and he's playing it for serious. I think it works. The beginning of the film really sets the visual style when they use those sort of shadow puppet warriors to represent... Yes. Very cool. The impaling of Vlad the Impaler, which was mostly worked out by Roman Coppola. At the time, he was like 25, and he was credited as like visual effects supervisor, and he was kind of his dad's like right-hand man, as they would use old techniques. And I think this helps set this movie above other Draculas and other movies of the time. So as Terminator 2 and Jurassic Park was bringing in CGI, they went the other way and did actual in-camera special effects, which is like they would literally rewind the film and shoot it a second time with like another effect right where it's supposed to be. There's so much opportunity for that to fail. Yeah. But that's how they did it like back in the day. And the shot where you get Dracula just walking down the street and it's all kind of herky-jerky a little bit. Coppola actually owned an old, I think, Pathé camera, this old wooden box camera. And they used that to film that scene. Cool. And they took a lot from silent films and art of the era and a lot from Jean Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast. Astounding. There are no limits to science. It is a well-digested film of different influences, including Nosferatu when he does that straight lift out of the coffin, that Mm -hmm. Nosferatu lift. Ready and action. Cut. Anyone killed? You watch enough of these movies, the cross just sort of starts seeming 
utilitarian. Mm. It's another weapon in, in your bag to fight vampires with. But in this, they're like, okay, Vlad Tepish was a crusader. He fought back the invading armies in the Holy Wars. He straight up becomes a vampire by renouncing God and willing himself into this state and stabbing a cross, which then starts to bleed. Yeah, pretty. Is I turned it, to Alec, who was watching that part with me, and I was like, this is metal. Yeah. This is really metal right here. Well, it's also kind of punk. Or rockabilly. Anyways, Lux Interior, lead singer for The Cramps, when Dracula goes to stab the cross, yeah. they never quite got his scream like they wanted it. And then uh, story goes, Sofia Coppola was like, you need this guy. Lux interior of the cramps. And that, it's like one second. He's like, Rah! and it's just this scream is only he can. But so he was the scream double. Wow. Yeah. A lot of talent. Yeah. A lot of talent in this movie. Does the movie come off as 90s? As, say, the 79 came off as kind of 70s? No. Keanu Reeves has some kind of floppy hair. Sure. And he's awful Keanu Reeves. He's terrible. I love him. But he, he's he just sort of stands movie. out as being like, he sort of brought the 90s with him. Sure. You know? Yeah. Just by being such an icon mm-hmm. of the times. Mm-hmm. And I wrote down uh, that young Dracula, Man About London, kind of looks like Chris Cornell from totally. Soundgarden. Absolutely. I'm glad yeah. you saw it also. I, will, I wouldn't have described it that way, but I was going to say there is with something about him. Yeah. Young Dracula that makes it feel dated, but I can't say what. I mean, placing it in that date and time. Yeah. But you've articulated it, absolutely. A king. I beg you. A little sleek. A playful king. Something I can teach. Something I can feed. No one would refuse me a king. Wouldn't you prefer a cat? Oh, oh yes. Oh, big. Salvation depends upon it. Your salvation? Yes. I need lives. I need lives for the master. And Richard E. Grant, as Dr. Seward, has the scenes most, you know, all the scenes, with Tom Waits' as Renfield. Hmm. This version tries to have its cake and eat it, too, by saying Renfield went to see Dracula, just like the 31 version, and then came back mad as a hatter. So now they have to send Harker to finish what Renfield started. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like him serving as like a warning of just like, you go to that castle, that could be you in a week. (laughs) Coming back wrong, maybe. Yeah, you're going to come back like Renfield. Yeah. Um, Who knows what he saw when he went to the castle. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, Coppola's Dracula. If you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, as I had not until By the way, that's dazzling to me. I just assumed ago. you had seen it. No. Um, then you definitely should. I can't recommend it We've been it doing enough. this podcast for... Six, six years. Six years. And if I had known that you hadn't seen this, uh, we would have at least had a conversation. Okay. Cat. Marshall. Blackula. Yes. Okay, so yeah, the poster says Deadlier Than Dracula, mm-hmm. but I guess it's in the trailer. It's uh, Dracula's soul brother. Wow. 
And that can either raise or lower expectations when mm. going into Blackula. Sure. You know, he is a strange dude. He thirsts for your blood. He hungers for your soul. What do you think of vampires? Vampires? I think they're possibly the most fascinating ball. Blackula. From American International Pictures. I appreciated this movie. I had heard the name, and it's always said in a joking way, and it yeah. makes you laugh, and whatever. But I found... So then later there's Blackenstein, and... Sure. Dr. Jekyll and, and Mr. You Black. Can, you can, of course, make very good arguments for, like, that's very exploitative. And I don't just mean in the exploitation way. It's just like, oh, okay, haha, it's funny. Cause and it's and a... you can dismiss it. Right, right. But there was some stuff, you know, most striking to me was... Uh, first of all, it's really competently directed, I think. It's visually very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a moment where uh, our Van Helsing-ish character, the detective, played by... Was it Thalmus Rasulala, maybe? Gordon Thomas, is that him? Yes, yes. Medical examiner, Oh, sort that's of. right, yes, he's a doctor. But, but for the police. He's black, and he goes to talk to the white chief of police, and they're having this discussion, and the chief of police has lost some files about recent deaths, and the doctor's like, huh, how come you always mismanage the information when it's black people that go missing? Mm -hmm. And, like, it's this really, it's a jab, and it's like, and the, the guy argues with him. They don't even no. center the scene around it, but it's still in there. It's a moment. The police have a theory about these killings. Now, are we to assume that they believe a vampire or some other such creature is responsible? A vampire? That's it, maybe. And I do want to speak about his performance, um, William Marshall. Yeah, he is as important to this as Bela was to Dracula. I mean, a classically trained actor. And I, I'm torn between being like, oh man, like this classically trained actor had to do Blackula. And being very thankful that he helped bring a I, real weight to John Carradine was a Shakespearean actor. Yeah. It's playing great. Dracula. It's great. And but I think his performance is truly fantastic. He's very good in this. He was 50. What? Six foot five. Well. That, that's the stat I gave earlier. I, and I figured when you said that, I was like, oh, he thinks that my number one is Blackula. Ooh. Now, I will give 50-year-old Blackula, William Marshall, a good three and a half. All right. Four. Well, maybe not four. Three and a half for me okay. on the hot pants meter. He's very command. His commanding presence. Mm -hmm. He's very refined. He orders a bottle of champagne. French. For the table. Yeah. So the movie starts, not modern day, but it starts in the time of Dracula uh, a few hundred years ago. And he's... During the slave trade. Slavery has merit, I believe. Merit? You find merit in barbarity? Barbarous from the standpoint of a slave, perhaps. Intriguing and delightful from mine. I would willingly pay for so beautiful an addition to my household as your delicious wife. Uh, he's there with his wife. Who will he later being get? Oh, Mama Walde. Mama Walde. Yeah. And Dracula, in addition to being a vampire, is kind of a jerk and yeah. a slave trader, or at least supports the system. Oh yeah. Because Mama Walde is there saying like, maybe if we could all get together, we can banish slave and trading. This. And he's like, ha ha ha. And he's like, well, why would I do that? How about I just make a run at your wife? What do you think about that? And they start fighting, and then it's fangs out, and he turns him into a vampire. <laughs> With my name, you shall be Blackula, 
Flash forward, a couple of antique dealers, gay characters, not treated great by the movie, but at the same time, were in the movie. Yeah. Which you wouldn't have gotten 10 years earlier. Balance to strike. Uh Uh-huh. And, you know... They're kind of flouncy, kind of funny. Did we mention that this movie is set in Los Angeles? We did now. And I think, you know, there's an argument to be made that, like, it's an exploitation film and they're going to showcase, like what it's like in the city and you'd have more diverse characters in the city and mm-hmm. they're yes as you said two gay gentlemen that I, it who, should who be, are successful antique dealers it should be mentioned if you haven't seen this movie you go to watch it just be forewarned there are some racial and homophobic slurs that are very unkind and not cool some thrown around more than others yes but we can you know we can view a film meet it where it's at um so that's how he comes to the U.S., basically. Mm-hmm. He's imported in his coffin. Yes. They buy everything in a home. In Dracula's castle. In Dracula's castle. Which, like, this castle belonged to Dracula. Oh, baby, I've seen all the movies. Yeah. So in this world, Dracula savvy. exists, like, as a myth. Yeah. And as movies, Dracula movies. I don't know if this would be the first vampire movie to say that, like, vampires are a thing in their world, mm. but a fictional thing. Who knows? Black, it might be the first. Count Dracula... It's a myth. He wasn't real. Oh, yes, he was real. As real as I am now. As real as you are. And my need for you. He woos Tina. And he makes it clear that, like, I will not just turn you into a vampire. You have to come to me. So, like, he could just turn her into a vampire. He's been turning people into a vampire left and right. But she's got to come to him. Yeah. Which I really liked. And she's really on the fence. She's almost there. Who could blame her? He's a three and a half on the hot pants meter. Yeah. And like he's offering her immortal life and love forever. So. And then when like the police are after him, they follow her to like his underground lair in like a chemical plant. Mm-hmm. And she gets shot by a cop. And then he's got that great, like speaking of like a Shakespearean powerful actor. Yeah. You just hear his voice like echoing through the whole place. Like no one will get out alive. Stretch out every shadow. Every corner! This will be your tomb! Your tomb! And then he makes her a vampire in order to, like, save her. But she still gets staked. And upon her staking, he just gives it up. He's like, well, she was my whole reason for everything. So he just goes like, that will not be necessary. Like, to the people trying to kill him. And he just walks up a flight of steps and into the sunlight. kind of beautiful. Then again, Draculas have a habit of coming back. The name is Dracula! You are going on tonight? Yes, I'm going to the castle. (gasps) Yes, I'm scheduled to meet Count Dracula. Dracula! 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 Scheduled? And so you've seen some other films. I thought I had watched Dracula Dead and Loving It, 1995. Yeah. As a kid, but I don't think I'd seen it. I know you sent me a text saying you were enjoying it. Yes, and that was very early in the film, and I think as the film went on, to me this is not a full-on classic Mel Brooks film for me. I enjoyed it. I think everyone in it is very good. When you've done something better that people can compare things to. Yes. It only works against you sometimes. Yeah. But, you know, Mel Brooks stuff is totally my cup of tea. I mean, I was cackling 
Alec was in the other room and he came out to see what in the hell I was laughing at because the whole children of the night, what a mess they make. <sighs> and then he slips on the bat poop and falls down the stairs and then his shadow is like walking up the stairs behind him. All that is absolutely my cup of tea. And that I was a parody just... of the Oldman Dracula yes. whose, whose shadow works independent exactly. of him. Exactly. Oh, and Peter McNichol is amazing. Everyone's great. I just feel like it wasn't quite enough and D I don't ever gel. need to watch it again. I'll probably rewatch Robin Hood Men in Tights another 20 times before I die. But this movie, uh, it's fun. I think it's totally worth a watch. Especially if you've watched a ton of other Dracula movies recently, like you or me, yeah. and you know all the tropes that he's making fun of. It's sure. fun, but, I, you know. I like the way you think, my dear. We must get together and have a long discussion. Very long. You watched Dracula 2000. I watched Dracula 2000. Which I had not intended to watch, but I was talking to a coworker who enjoys horror movies, yeah. and I was like, I'm watching all these Dracula movies, blah, blah, blah. And she goes, you should watch Dracula 2000. And I've only ever heard that title as like, I don't know, I was just assumed like, oh, it's some gimmicky, like, Dracula and like, the future. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, everything no, no. was named it, 2000. Anything with 2000 yes. sounds like the future. So I didn't take it seriously. I never thought about who was in it or what it was. And she was like, you should watch it. So I did. And look, it's definitely not flawless. No. Hey, can I, uh, can I get you some coffee or something? I don't drink coffee. And vitamin C, little stunt casting. It singer. really is a Dracula 2000. Totally. Especially her job. Which oh, yeah. at the time, I was like, oh, I get it. Virgin Record Store. Oh, hilarious. But now it's like, remember record stores? Wow. If you watch it, there's definitely stuff that's like cheesy and doesn't work. But I do think there's some truly thrilling stuff in this movie. If true evil cannot die, is there a chance that it can forever be contained? The basic premise is that they steal... They know there's something valuable. Something valuable. It's this coffin. They can't get it open. They're like, yeah, we'll just take it with us and figure out how to get it open. Through various circumstances, it opens. It's Dracula. He's all nasty. The more people he kills, he gets younger and hotter. And Dracula is played by Gerard Butler, who... Way before 300. I've never had a thing for, but is a full six on a one to five... Hot pants. Ding, 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 the hottest of pants. I found myself hot under the collar for Gerard Butler's Dracula watching this movie. And then I remembered that one fateful night, oh, I actually met Gerard Butler a few years ago when okay. I was working a job where I drove people around Santa Monica and I had dropped someone off in front of a restaurant and this man was standing there smoking a cigarette by mm. himself. And he asked me about my car because it was like an electric vehicle. Yeah, open air. Op open, open to air. the elements. And he's like, what's this then? You know, in his accent. Hey, love. And I could see who it was. I mean, I know who he is. Yeah. And we had a conversation for maybe 10 minutes. And he said, I'm Jerry. Jerry. I know who you are. I think I read somewhere later that he doesn't like the way Americans say Gerard. He doesn't like that, like, hard R. All so right. he just says, eh, call me Jerry. Anyway, my point is, I stood in the dark with Dracula for, Dracula. you know, I don't know, 10 minutes talking to him. And, um... Just about stuff. Whew. So, and I find his Dracula very sexy. 
But also... In a movie full of sexy people. In a movie full of sexy people. I am impressed by the sheer ambition and inventiveness of the... um, The backstory? The ultimate backstory that this movie takes. And I encourage you if you haven't seen... I usually don't like backstories in general for vampires. Uh Uh-huh. This one, I was gobsmacked. And I'm not even going to say it here. I just want, if you're listening, just if you don't have anything to do, crack open a beer on a Friday night. Watch Dracula 2000. Thank me later. Another movie I watched, because I promised your friend and mine, David Maddox, that I would watch. He kept, he mentioned it like more than once on our social media when we posted about Dracula. He was like, Dracula Untold, are you going to watch it? And another time he was like, are you going to watch Dracula Untold? And I was like, David, David, I promise you I will watch this movie. So I finally watched it yesterday. Really enjoyed it. And in, in fact, it came up today because I was at work and every so often at my job, I actually have to work with a history professor uh-huh. who is young and cool and loves badass movies that have anything to do with history. And it occurred to me, I was like, hey, have you seen Dracula Untold? And he was like, yes, I have. And it's really cool. And he was talking about how some of the history in that film, like it's real people that yeah. these people are based on, well, um, not just... Vlad, but like the bad guy and all this. Anyway, Dracula Untold is a very romanticized, cool version of a Dracula origin story. I really enjoyed it. Some kick-ass battle scenes, cool stuff with like okay, him pretty like, easy to find. turning into so, a uh, like swarm of bats. Look, you could. It's also a tight ninety minutes. You're not gonna spend three hours of your life watching this movie. It visually looks good. I think it's well-directed. It's fun. I shed a tear. All in all, fine holiday fun. Two thumbs up. I enjoyed Dracula Untold. So thanks to David Maddox for the recommendation. I recommend it. I had a good time. Rather than watch Dracula Untold, Uh I re-watched The Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew Meet Dracula. Wow, didn't know that was a thing. They didn't totally meet Dracula, or do they? But... There's like a rock festival in Dracula's castle and the Hardy Boys' dad goes missing and they're looking for him. And Nancy Drew's also looking for him. And Paul Williams plays the rock star who's like putting this festival on. One other thing, nobody but nobody goes through that arch into the caverns below. Why not? Why? Because the code says so. <laughs> That's why. I could not get enough of it. Wow, okay. I don't think I, I go in for camp just for camp too much, but this time I did. Nice. Like, that's its value. It is a camp value. Cute. And rather than watch Dracula Untold, I went and watched the episode from September of 2000, the season five premiere. Yeah. Buffy versus Dracula. Season five is freaking amazing. And I think they had to do it first. I don't think they could have been ensconced in any other big bad Sure. Plot And that year, I believe, was the Glory plot, the character yeah, Glory. Yeah, it was. You couldn't have just taken time off from her and just stuck in Dracula. So you really had to do him right, Come kick out off swinging. the season. Yeah. I apologize. I assumed you knew. I'm Dracula. Get out. Dracula's, like, treated like a celebrity. Isn't it fun? Outside of Spike, they never get other vampires responding to Dracula. Mm. But I have a feeling that among vampires, he's also a celebrity. I'm sure. That's the way it is in the vampire happening. 
And it feels like I've seen other stuff where it's like, yeah, it's got Dracula, but he's like the celebrity of the vampires that everyone's like, hey, man, Dracula's coming. I'm a big fan in this episode of Giles' storyline, like how fun that is. They bring in the uh, kind the, of the harem three of wives. ladies, the three ladies, and yeah, and they're like snuggling with him, and that's how he gets distracted. He's like, oh no, I, I was about to escape. They come to rescue him. And just, oh, oh, yes. Uh, oh, okay. Oh, oh, my shoe. And Xander, in fairly typical Xander fashion, nothing goes well for him as he gets turned into basically his Renfield. Yeah. And at the end, is very resentful <laughs> over it. Yeah. He's eating bugs. He's at the service of Dracula. Yeah. It's a really fun episode. Well, the Dracula never it. comes back. So in retrospect, you're like, oh, he was such a big threat, but he never comes back again. Yeah. But by the end of that episode, you forget all about Dracula because that's the inner, the out of nowhere introduction of dawn which was kind of the point that's right yeah the end of the episode that mom you're like oh is it gonna be dracula all season she's got a sister yeah and and the next day you're not talking about dracula you're talking about the sister yeah um i'm so glad you watched it i like the idea of you watching buffy i know you enjoy the show yeah just um it warms my heart because that show like formed my personality and it took five seasons to do dracula Mm. on on a show about vampires to get to dracula for sure but we don't really go in seasons here, but we've been at it for like six years. And it took us That's six years true. to really hammer in Dracula. Yeah, we touched on vampires in episode two sure, and of our show. The name Dracula has been bandied about plenty That's right. on Boys and Ghouls. But um, it took two episodes now, because we knew it would be a big one, mm-hmm. to really try to rein in Dracula. Dracula, Dracula, Dracula Sortant doucement de sa tombe Il va par les nuits les plus sombres Frapper dans son grand manteau noir Dracula, Dracula, Dracula you wanted to do something we've never done before for our next episode. So, a couple of listeners have mentioned the idea of us answering some questions. And I thought yeah. the way to do that that could be really fun is to have people, air quotes, call in, as it were. So we'll give you a couple options. Um, so on our next episode, we're going to do some, like, Ask Us Anything stuff. It can be anything from, you know, what's your favorite scary movie if you don't know that by now you'll find out on the next episode if someone asks mm. to i don't know you get creative i can't I, we assume that someone out there has questions that they have not so far asked to us sure and they don't have to be about horror movies per se i'm always a big fan if you've listened to my behind the screams episodes of asking people questions about like other genres of films that they like because i think it's interesting like we don't have to stay horror centric but whatever it is if you've been wanting to ask us Personal questions, within reason. Questions about horror, whatever. Anything you've been wondering. Or if you just want to shout out, whatever. You can send us a voice memo to boysandghouls at gmail.com. We won't actually be accepting live calls. No, no, no. Because I have no idea how to do that. And I think this will be a little bit cleaner and easier. So if you'd like to send us audio, record yourself asking a question, saying hi, identify yourself or not. And then send that to boysandghouls at gmail.com. That again is boysandghouls at gmail.com. 
Or if you don't want to have your voice on air, which that's totally fine. Yep. You can write us an email. We'll read it. It's fine. Or maybe someone will do a dramatic reading. I don't know. We'll figure it out. So anyway, give us a quote call. Send a voice memo to boysandghouls at gmail.com. So right now this is uh, episode 76. My. So for episode 77, which you may have noticed if you're an avid listener, we've been kind of slowing down on our output. So I can't really say when we're going to record the next one. But feel free to get us something, and then we'll put it out on social media like a deadline. Like, we usually know, like, a week in advance when we're going to record. Yeah. So our social media, again, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, we'll put the word out, like, okay, five more days, and then that's it. I think, uh, suffice to say, when we release this episode you're listening to right now, Mm -hmm. it will be spring of 2019. So if you're listening to this then, yeah. then check our social media for a deadline if you want to send us a little voice memo. If you're listening to this, you know, in December of 2019 or anywhere in the future beyond the spring of 2019, wow, hello, what's the future like? And also, like, feel free to send us a voice memo, but, you know, you've missed your opportunity. Or just <laughs> just write down what you'd like to know or uh, what you'd like to tell us about yourself. Yeah, you just email us like normal people do all the time. Yeah. We get emails. Yeah, we do. Great. All right. Cat. Yes. The legacy of Dracula. We've never done a part two like this. We've gone along and split something into two parts before, but we've never done like, okay, now everything we just did, do it again. Yeah. Uh, same topic. It was a hefty topic. You can't eat an elephant in a day or whatever the, that horrible metaphor is. It's new to me. Okay. You know that thing where you say, like, you can eat an elephant, but you just, it takes a while. You can't just eat it in one sitting. You gotta, like, eat a little bit at a time. I hate myself. No, I, 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 I get your saying. I okay, just, great. I bought a whole ham for Easter. <laughs> I actually, I haven't offered you ham. Would you like some ham? No, thank I you. I got a lot. <laughs> okay. Folks, thank you so, so much for uh, sticking with us and through the gaps that have been occurring in our output. And for uh, getting to the end of this episode, all about plural Draculas, the many Draculas, and how much we uh, we enjoy them, or not enjoy them, or enjoy not enjoying them. You might say there's no bad Draculas, but I could give you some titles. There are. There are some <laughs> bad Draculas. Uh, but here's to the good ones, and here's to you good people for sticking with us all the way through two episodes all about Draculas. He's a character that pervades. Um, everybody does their take on him every decade. There's a just it's it's so incredibly widespread, and uh, you realize watching seven to fifteen to twenty movies or whatever that like you haven't even scratched the surface on Dracula movies, and like this is just a subject and a character that is inspiring to so many people to like want to tell that story in yeah. their way. It really hits a nerve. If it is by name Dracula or not. Right. Uh, Kat, anything to add? Oh, gosh. Uh, Oh, one more thing. Beware the moon. Beware. Beware.